Okay, so without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dale Harris. Hello. I was going to start with I'm Dale Harris, and you already know that. Uh, I'm the director of Wholesale for Has Been Coffee, based in Stafford. And uh, it's really exciting to talk at Tampa Tantrum. I was in the first, uh, the first Tampa Tantrum live audience in Dublin a few years ago, and it's, it's always been a, a highlight for me. Uh, so when I was invited to talk, I got a bit freaked out because I didn't really uh, realize what I could talk about. Um, I could talk about the projects I'm involved in, things like the Barista Guild of Europe, or being on the, uh, on the board of SEAE, which is a new adventure. Um, could talk about barista competition and getting ready for that. Um, but all of those things have better platforms. I thought about talking about what I do every day. Uh, has been wholesale, we sell coffee, it's good, you should buy it. Um, in fact, we don't sell coffee, we sell love. We're very big on that, we're shipping love every day. Uh, learning how to train people when they're 100 miles away, that's difficult. Um, a very small team. Uh, and then I had this realization that my job, whilst I love it very much, is kind of boring if you're not doing it. Um, so I decided that I want to talk about a project that I've been involved in for much longer, uh, for about eight years. Uh, talk about uh, a project that there are lots of smarter people involved in it. It's been going on for ages. There will be smarter people afterwards who look at the things that I say and will think that I was stupid and that's okay and it's working in coffee, being a barista. Uh, and particularly, I wanted to talk about uh, the professional barista's future, uh, what might happen next. Uh, not in the next few months, not in the next WBC, but in the next five years, or 10 years, or 20 years. And when thinking about the future, you always have to make assumptions. So I've made some assumptions, and they're kind of based on things that I've seen in in labs and R&D facilities and, and things that actually you can see around the show, some, some progression that's already happened. Um, the biggest thing that uh, I think is going to happen in the next five years is that all the things that baristas whine about at the moment, every single day, your espresso machine, oh, it gets too hot, oh, it's too cold, it's not what I want. Uh, my grinder, my grinder, oh, sometimes it doses wrong. All of those things we won't be able to whine about anymore. Uh, espresso machines, brewing temperatures will become more stable. It's going to happen. It's pretty much already happened. Uh, I was in a, a testing area in Rimini, and there were seven, eight espresso machines that are all at the top of their game, and all of them were more temperature stable than I could possibly taste. It's proven they're much more uh, stable than they need to be. Scales will be built into drip trays. It's going to happen. There are like 100 machine manufacturers putting scales in. And probably in six months, they'll all be taken out and we'll use volumetrics. And then six months, we'll go free flow and we'll stop them by eye. And then put, we'll put scales back in. It doesn't really matter, but it's there. And pressure profiling machines might start working. Maybe? Sometimes, every shot after shot after shot. Grinders. Grinder burrs will be designed that achieve more uniform results. That will give you a unimodal grind distribution. In fact, there are R&D labs where they already have burrs like this. They just don't know how to put them into a grinder. Uh, dosing systems will achieve less waste. And the biggest innovation, and this is happening, there will be more LEDs on everything. They make coffee better. Woo! I like lights. The problem with all these things is actually they're really boring. They're not very interesting. Temperature stability is the most boring thing in the world. It's the effect that temperature stability has on our ability to make coffee that's interesting. It's the effect that all these small changes and small bits of progression have 
on our ability to deliver coffee that tastes exactly as we wanted it to taste every single time that is mind-blowing. Are you ready for this? This is my big like, call for progress. Extraction will become more repeatable. Woo! It's awesome. It's also really scary. Like, this sounds like exactly what we wanted. We always wanted our jobs to be easier. But this is also the beginning of what I'm calling the post-apocalyptic barista's future. Okay? And what do I mean by this? Uh, I spent eight years, and they were really hard years. Like, all of my efforts, I spent eight years learning how to do this with a thing, and this, and dose into a basket with 19 grams every single time, and I got really good at it. Like, I'm amazing at dosing into a certain size basket every time. And it's a completely worthless skill if every grinder, when you push one button, the, the 19 grams comes out. Like, that thing that I do, no one needs anymore. Tamping with 30 pounds of pressure every single time. Like, I'm proud of this. This is something that I worked at. But if every single espresso machine tamps for you, I'm useless. No one will give me money. I'm not valuable anymore. The, uh, there's another thing here. The, uh, it's a little secret. Nobody cares. So all the things that I worked really hard at being good at, the theater and the artisanship of making coffee, the customers don't really care. Sometimes they think they do. Sometimes they say, oh, there was that thing you're doing. How are you doing it? They're being nice to me. Like, it doesn't matter to them. They really care about the coffee tasting nice. They're interested in how I achieve that a little bit. But if I push and the coffee came out and it tasted mind-blowing, they would be just as happy. And there's a problem here that these people, these nobody who cares, these customers, are the only people who pay money for coffee. They're the only people who really matter. They're the only people who put money in the system that pays for baristas' wages and cafes. They pay for roasteries. They pay for the nice bags that I put my coffee in. They pay for importing and exporting firms. They pay for shipping containers. They pay for mills, and they pay for farmers, and they pay for new varieties and progress and amazing things. It's really important that we do the things they care about, like making good coffee. It's not important that we tamp really hard all the time. Okay. So. For me, personally, this is a threat. It's a scary thing. I don't know what I'm going to do about it. But in business planning, you're meant to look at threats and see them as opportunities. There's a gap. There's something we can do here. So, oh, I've gone too far. Let's go back up. Sorry. Firstly, we should accept that the job we do wasn't very good. Being a barista is not really cool. It's more dirty than cool. If you look at your fingers after you pulled a shift on bar and you look at all the, the brown stuff, not nice. It's boring, repetitive, mechanical work. It's hard and it's not paid very well. Like there's no great reward for being a barista in a shop. Um, I would suggest that very few baristas earn a true living wage and I'd also suggest that very few of them, if they were good parents, would tell their children, when you grow up, what you should do is you should work behind a bar and give people cups of coffee for not much money. This is not good advice. You're a bad parent. And it's nobody's fault. So generally, quality-focused cafes do not make much money. This, this like Ross's talk maybe proves that. It's, it's not a new thing. If you really care about quality, it's hard to make money because you're investing in quality. And we struggle with the fact that the easiest way to make more money or increase your turnover would be to push prices up. But if you push prices up, actually your volume of customers goes down. It's hard to make more money. Uh, 
Baristas aren't paid enough and that's because they're the biggest significant thing that a cafe can control in their costs. Um, because baristas aren't paid enough, lots of them leave their jobs and they go and get a real job where they can have a nice flat and it'll be, life will be much better. And then that causes another huge problem in cafes that you end up having to spend every six months training brand new people on exactly the same stuff you were training people on six months ago. Which means that you never learn how to train new, more exciting, interesting stuff. We don't get to be progressive and innovative because we're all teaching people how to do this. It's okay, it's gonna get better. It's an inefficient system. We're wasting huge amounts of man hours training people on the same stuff. We're wasting our energy and our time doing it. Instead of raising prices, we should focus on, it's gonna move, it's gonna go, it's gonna go. Yay, efficiency, it's my favorite word. Efficiency is kind of boring, but it's also incredibly exciting. If we focus on efficiency and on reducing unnecessary, uh, unnecessary, on, uh, on unnecessary staff hours, on staff turnover, on wasted time, but we could just focus on uh, reducing our wastage in coffee. It's really hard to put numbers on everything else, but we can put numbers on coffee. Uh, better, more controlled extractions mean less coffee wastage, uh, both in coffee used in the shop and then in coffee used trying to find what a good shot is. If in coffee used to find that perfect shot, if your grinder is reliable and gives you the same dice every time, you don't need to waste as much time finding out where you are today when you come in. You can reduce the changes you make due to environmental changes, reduce them hugely, or even get rid of them completely if technology gets better. And technology is getting better. We don't need to chase it. So for the last maybe five, six years, baristas, our big job has been finding up espresso machine companies and saying, your grinders are shit. I want a better grinder. We do not need to do that anymore. Engineers are doing that. Engineers will continue to do that because they know that people want to buy better things. So that progress is happening. With those, the more efficient equipment, with better burrs, they're designed to give us more of what we want. More consistent brewing temps and pressure. We can drop our doses. We can go from maybe 20 grams to 18, from 18 to 15. We can extract more efficiently. We can achieve similar TDS, but higher quality, higher flavors, better flavors, uh, with a lot less spend. Reduced wastage means we have a little more money. And we can choose what we want to do with that money. And I think we should throw it at two places. I think we should throw it at farm level staff and shop level staff, which are the two weakest economic parts in our industry. Both of those whole systems get paid peanuts. And it is unsustainable. And unsustainable is another favorite word, and we'll come back to unsustainable in a bit. So I'm going to work on another assumption. Uh, I'm going to work on the assumption that we could drop the quantity of coffee that we use in a shop, in a normal busy shop, by 20%, by being more efficient with our equipment, by not wasting stuff when we don't need to waste stuff. There are lots of other ways we could save money, but we're going to go with that number. And for a cafe, that's a 2% difference in margin. It's not significant. Your, your costs are so high, everything you're doing, it's not going to change you from being a viable, profitable business to not. But for other people, this could be really good. Um, I, I apologize for uh, back of the matchbook math. Look, back of a matchbook, this is a good slide. Um, we're going to talk about coffee farmers, and we're going to say that for every coffee drink you make, you, you, you save 5p with that 20% difference, and you're going to split in two, and you're going to give half to the coffee farmer. So 2.5p at 18 gram doses, you're going to get 60 doses out of a kilo. You can, uh, oh, did I skip? That's 1.50. Uh, 1.50 divided by 0.450, that's roughly per pound of coffee. 
If we times that uh, by 1.6, you get a price per dollar. So it's a dollar and eight cents per pound green difference. So I don't know if there's anyone here who kind of is aware of coffee prices. Uh, specialty coffee, let's say, an average good price is three dollars per pound. And that's a, you know, that's a pretty good price for most of the market. The commodity price is somewhere around $1.80. Uh, $1.08 on top of your $3 would mean that for quality farmers, you're increasing their turnover by 25%. And a 25% increase for a cafe would be a big deal. That would be, whoa, we've made it. For a farmer, that's also a big deal. But if you also take into account that in most of Central America and lots of Africa, the actual profits you make on good coffee, if you are an amazing farmer achieving a price of about $3 per pound, their profit is a dollar. If you add an extra dollar to that without asking them to do anything else, you have doubled their income. And there are a lot of things that I would do if you doubled my wage, a lot of things. It could be a viable argument for coffee farmers that have the necessary terroir to produce quality, but don't to do it. Look, you're gonna earn double what you used to earn. It's a viable argument for farm owners investing more in farming technology that will help, uh, that works in line with quality. So better depulpers, better soil management, better agronomic advice and training. Uh, it's a viable argument for coffee farmers to invest more in educating pickers, in paying pickers more money, in doing an extra successive pick at the end of harvest so they don't have as many unripe cherries mixed in with the rest. That will increase, a, that will increase the proportion of coffee coming from a farm and even the best farms in the world produce some shit coffee because it's hard to pick really good coffee. If you could increase the percentage of coffee that a farm produces, the percentage of really good stuff by 5%, that's 5% more good coffee for us. Uh, improved sorting of improved cherries deliver improved taste results and all that adds up to better quality, quantity and consistency of green coffee. And there's a really amazing thing here that better quality, quantity and consistency of green coffee means better quality, quantity, and consistency of roasted coffee too. It's a lot easier to roast, it's a lot easier to do your quality control when you're getting coffee that is much more like for like. It's a lot easier to brew it consistently when you know what's gonna be in the next bag. That also means that our espresso equipment, these grinders that we're struggling with so much, actually they don't even need to be as good anymore because the coffee going into them will be better and more consistent, it'll work better. Have I talked about farmers enough? You always have to talk about farmers, they're important. I would love to do a talk just on that. I am not the right person. So let's go back to talking about baristas. Let's imagine a cafe that does 30 kilos a week with 18 gram doses. That's 1,666 coffee drinks a week. And that's 86,632 coffees a year, which is a lot of milk. It's a significant amount of milk. And it's also a lot of 2.5 Ps. It's, uh, 2,165 pounds and 80 pence worth of 2.5 Ps. I'm just gonna catch up on my notes. Now we can give that to baristas. Baristas will be happy. Let's say that cafe has three full-time baristas. Here you go, here's 750 pounds. Uh, that's a new iPhone. And iPhones are amazing. iPhones mean that you don't need to rely on your roaster to tell you what, that the coffee is good. You can email the farmer, you can go on Twitter, and you can say, hey you, like, what was the thing you did with the thing? And they'll get back to you. You should do that instead of playing Angry Birds in your breaks. It's an opinion, there's another talk there as well. But we're not gonna give it to baristas because they will spend it on iPhones, they will waste it, they will get real like, hipster trousers and stuff, don't like it. Instead, we'll keep hold of it and we can look after them better. We can make them more valuable. Uh, we can invest that money in better training. But before we do that, we should also, I want to suggest that there's also more we can do there. There's a lot more money we could save and we could put much more money into it. 
The, uh, let's say that uh, with this better equipment, you can maybe produce 20% more drinks of the same quality in the same time. Baristas can do more things, or they can waste less time making coffee and more time thinking about coffee or talking about coffee. This is going to be fun. What do we invest in? This is another problem, because I'm a, often a trainer. What do we invest in, training-wise, if it's not how to tamp? Because I'm so good at that. Like, if you give me an hour and lots of money, I'll show you how to tamp better than anyone else. It's amazing. Commissions. If we don't invest in that, what should we invest in? What are the right skills to train baristas on? I think maybe our front line, the people that we have in our cafes, don't actually need to be what we think of as baristas at all. I think the definition of a barista is changing. I think it's changed already. Uh, so I am bored of the word. I no longer want to think of myself as a barista. I am bored of this. Instead, I'm going to refer to it as being a coffee professional who works in a bar environment. And we have a new book. This is mine. It's going to be great. To be a coffee, prof oh, a coffee professional in a bar environment. And in this new role, that we can do a better job at delivering and explaining the complexity and the simplicity of what coffee is. And we can do a better job at making better coffee, but also making coffee better. I think there are three things that the coffee professionals in a bar environment should deliver. Amazing service. Uh, I don't want to talk about service too much. It's not because it's not interesting. It is a whole thing. And you can buy courses in service. You can go to a restaurant school and you can learn how to be front of house staff. Or you can go to a car dealership school and you can learn how to sell. There are a hundred skills out there in different industries about service. And it's something that I don't want to define. But I do want to define experiences because for me, the best moments I've had in coffee were when the barista stepped away from the coffee machine. Can I step away from the microphone? When they stepped away from the coffee machine and started being a coffee professional and started engaging with me, the customer when they started asking me questions about what I wanted and listening to the answers and designing something for my preferences, really noticing me. Sometimes they were answering my questions, that's cool, but the really best times was when they just stopped and thought about them with me. Some of the best moments that I've had in coffee shops have been that kind of moment. Now, people hate the word experiences. I get that every single person who comes into a shop and buys a drink does not want an experience, particularly the person who came in yesterday and had an experience. Maybe they don't want one today because they're busy, they're in a rush. But I think it's really important that we have the ability to deliver those experiences, to be able to step out from the queue without dropping the quality of service and really engage with someone and answer their questions and give them something that they cannot get elsewhere. Because if they just want to buy coffee in a queue and rush off to their meeting, there are places that are amazing at that. Have you been to pret manger They can move you in like a minute, it's 99p. The coffee's not great. If we're gonna really focus on making the coffee great, then it shouldn't just be about the brewing the machines can do. It should be about us personally delivering something that you cannot buy elsewhere. Okay. Unfortunately, delivering experiences is hard. To deliver a great experience, we need to train our staff in things like sensory skills, that's something I was talking about. And that means investing in people time, money, and resources to deliver, uh, to give those staff a vocabulary and knowledge and, and a real understanding of those experiences. It also becomes important that when the machines do all the work for us, the barista has to tell the machine what to do. So uh, if anyone knows what the, the Turing test is, uh, 
if you can play chess against a computer and you don't realize it's a computer, it's a person doing it, you, you can think it's a person doing it, then computers have achieved sentience. Espresso machines will not achieve sentience. They do not know how to taste. They only know how to repeat what you told it to do. So we need to train coffee professionals to be able to taste objectively, to give valid results and, and, and meaningful feedback, and be able to assess and adjust the coffees they're pulling and make them taste better every single time. They also need to be able to deliver good explanations and descriptions of flavor for their customers that are welcome and useful and engaging and bring those people who are the only people putting money into the system with us so that they buy the right things and they understand why they're buying them. And that actually means teaching people how to become, another favorite word, educators and salespeople and presenters. And these skills are really expensive to train, but the best thing is, we don't need to come up with the training on our own. So almost every industry, product, uh, institution in the world requires people who are good at selling and good at training and good at talking. These are such valuable skills that there are whole industries. You can go to a conference for four days and learn how to sell or learn how to educate and learn how to listen. And we should send people on those courses. If we can demonstrate that working in a cafe for a year is, is a viable way of people learning those skills, that it, it's somewhere where those skills are cultivated. Actually working in a cafe could be a thing on someone's CV that helps them become a doctor or a, a lawyer or a scientist or a salesperson or even a real coffee professional who works in a bar environment. Are we good with that? Do we all agree? Show of hands, say yes. Yes, of course you agree, I'm right. Representation, this is a, a little harder. So I imagine a world where coffee professionals who work in a bar environment, who make drinks every day, actually begin to make a more meaningful difference in coffee. Uh, if you want to talk about staff staying in the long term and not leaving and us not having to train new people, uh, there's a really good book called Drive, which talks about the things that people want in a job. And the three things are autonomy. They want to be able to make decisions like, the coffee tastes like this today because I think that's where it's at its best. And they want mastery, they want to be able to learn skills and really feel in control of what they're doing and we're really good at training that. But they also want purpose and sometimes I feel that like making cappuccinos every day, it's great to make people smile, but it doesn't feel like you're part of this great mission. Uh, specialty coffee feels a little bit better because we're, we're making quality happen. But it would be really good if we could make quality happen beyond what happens in the bar we could change the way the, the quality happens in a farm or in hundreds of different ways across our industry. Now, right now, there are huge issues, uh, I think Marta said, about the sustainability of the coffee industry, um, the sustainability of good coffee production. And generally, we are getting really, really good at talking about this together. So at a show like Cup North, uh, we all talk, oh, Leafrass, have you heard this thing? It's killing coffee. We're really, really bad at talking about this to customers. And I think a little bit of this is because we're taking their money, so we want them to smile, so we tell them good stories, and we say, have you tasted this? It's like black currants, yay, win. We talk about process and varieties and all these things that we're just beginning to understand. And we don't talk about the real shit and the real messy bits of coffee that are real and present dangers. Uh, I think maybe we assume that they don't matter to our customers, but it's really important that our customers understand it because they like buying our product and our product might run out. We might not be able to sell it to them and then their lives will be less good. Challenges in international logistics, uh, political instability in Central America, violence after elections in Kenya. 
fluctuations in, in international currencies. All of these things affect our products and they affect our profession and they affect our customers. The ability of the vast majority of people who work in coffee to have their issues heard and addressed is pretty much non-existent. They're really good at talking to other people who work in coffee, but the only people who get to talk to the people who put money in the system are the coffee professionals who work in bar environments. They're the people who take the money. It should be their job, in my opinion, to represent our entire industry. They should take a holistic approach to this product that we serve. And actually, it's not just baristas who are bad at this. It is machine manufacturers and roasters and importing firms and packaging firms. Everyone who works in specialty, they are not really part of the roasting industry. And they're not really part of the barista industry. There is no such thing. They're part of the specialty coffee industry. Actually, they're part of the coffee industry. And if we want to be a sustainable industry, if we want to be somewhere in 10 years or 20 years, we need to really pick our battles and we need to speak with one voice intelligently about the real issues that we're facing. One industry, one voice, yeah, one love. I'm sorry, but I don't believe that the biggest issues we face are temperature stability or how easy it is to maintain your grind. I think the biggest issue our industry faces is that coffee that tastes nice might die. I mean, I have a significant pause there because it's something we should think about. Coffee that tastes nice, really nice, really amazing coffees, the coffees that you can go and taste at all these stands here, is running out and it's hard to produce and there's very little money going into the system. Coffee that tastes nice might die. And for baristas today, or for the coffee professional who works in the bar environment today, this is really scary because coffee that tastes nice might die before we start investing in those soft skills and those wonderful things that are going to give us a sustainable career. If we don't invest in the soft skills that we need to demonstrate and communicate what good coffee is right now, we may never reach the tipping point where we have a job that can pay enough money for us to pay rent or where we have a job that is sustainable and we can do for 10, 20 years. It's our job to invest in these skills right now so that we can make sure that industry is sustainable and that there is good coffee for us to brew. In five years time when machines do all the work, yes, it will be really easy and really logical for a cafe to go, oh yeah, I pay like this barista guy, I pay him 30 grand and we spend two grand on sending him to college every weekend and he learns these different things. But by then, it might be too late. We need to cultivate the skills that we need in our coffee professionals in a bar environment, the skills needed to communicate well, the skills needed to represent our industry right now have I made that point right now? Are we cool with that? I believe that the barista profession as it is, is dead. It's okay, the barista is dead. Long live the coffee professional who works in the bar environment. I think if we really engage with all the issues in our industry and started communicating them, started paying things in the system better with money that we don't really have right now, but taking that leap and putting things forward, then we don't need to worry about this dying. In five years or in ten years, the specialty coffee industry as one industry could pay for scholarships in universities for coffee professionals who work in bar environments who want to know more about agronomy or want to know more about cultural studies that will push the way that we trade better or in work in economics or work in engineering. I think in 10, 20 years, if the specialty coffee industry gets its act together and works together, 
We could have coffee professionals who are reading books about all these different areas of coffee production or how machines are made or how depulpers work and using that knowledge, talking to producers directly and using that knowledge to better inform our customers who put money in the system what they're buying, why they're buying it, why, they, why they should pay more for it, making it more worth their while. And I think maybe then we won't need this because we can, and I like this wording, maybe then we can be writing this instead. I'm done, thank you. You can stay standing there to ask you lots of questions. Uh, that was wonderful, thank you so much. Um, do we have any questions before I dish in with loads of my questions? No? Well, you can think of some questions amongst yourselves. Um, so, <laughs> you obviously see the, the Barissa's career changing yeah. the future. Like, talk us through the average day in this kind of like, uh, in the life of Barista as you see it going forward. Like, what does the... What does the My vision? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I think there will be less of us. I would like, so at the moment there are, there are lots and lots of people who make espresso and they do it for six, nine months and you have lots of baristas in the bar. I think if there are less people working behind bar and they're working more efficiently and more tidy and wasting less, uh, they can spend a little more time. So they will pull shots, but they can step away from the machine and somebody, may, maybe even a bar back, can actually do the pulling the shots. Uh, I think Ross was talking about the, the onus on the, the, the owner to talk about the business. I like the people who are really coffee professionals who are working in that bar to be able to step away and talk about coffee. And maybe they wear smarter shirts rather than like ripped up things with coffee stains on. And maybe, they, maybe the furniture is a little smarter, but they, they actually spend time. So buying a coffee could maybe be a valuable 10 minute experience. Um, maybe they spend a little bit of time. Actually, actually, there are some amazing people who work in coffee who do all this already. So uh, there's, uh, there's bar uh, intelligence, you have a bar in LA, and uh, one of my friends went in there, and they saw a guy that they knew from Twitter who pours amazing latte art, and he was sat at one of the stalls in the cafe, he wasn't working. It was Saturday, it was his day off, and he was researching the Kenyan they were putting on bar the next day. Like spending four hours researching this coffee from Kenya, because when he went on bar the next day, he wanted to speak really intelligently about it and understand why it tastes the way it did. And if somebody asked a question that he didn't know the answer about the varieties, he wants to have all this. Uh, like, uh, this is a, a bit of a tangent, but with what we do at Has Been, like, I do the wholesale side, which is easy. I have Chris and Steve who do this, this website business. And interestingly, a lot of the questions that they get asked by email are the same questions that people ask in a cafe. And one of our, like, uh, our little internal missions or values is we should always have one more answer than a customer has questions. Like this real drive to know as much as we possibly can. And every time someone asks something that we don't know, we, like, we desperately look through all the books or we find up uh, the guys at Macanto or the importers or someone like Marta or, or even the coffee farmer and say, yeah, we, like, there was this, this question about, like you say, your altitude and this fountain thing. This, does that affect things? And then we can speak more intelligently and answer questions better and the customer gets a better experience. Like I, I deeply believe that food tastes better when you have a little more information about it. When I, when I get told about how the, the oysters I'm eating, how they're, they're found in a certain place in Norfolk and, and the difference in water quality in there, that gets me really, really excited. I love to know about the things uh, that I'm tasting. And I know that I'm weird. 
but some people are like me and I like to talk to them. So how does that relay then against like the guy who gets off the train and he's just walks down the street like, yeah, 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 walks through the door, yeah. hey, can I get a cappuccino please? Yeah, so I'm just at the bit. Like that guy okay, wants so, coffee so, on the way to work. So, so I do not mind the fact that maybe 95% of your customers, that's what they want. That's okay. It involves very, very little effort. If, the if you've dialed in your coffee and the machine's going to deliver that really repeatedly, I can deliver him exactly once he, what he wants, amazing tasting coffee, and I can do it without talking to him because I can talk to someone else whilst I'm doing it. And I can, I can make eye contact. That's a, a, a service skill. There are lots of ways of, of doing that. But if somebody just wants an amazing cappuccino, they can now order it on their iPhone as they're walking from the train and I'll have it ready for him and he can just pick it up. It'll be the cup with his name on it that I, with his Twitter handle on. Yeah. That's do, that, like, that will happen, I think that happens at Taylor Street already. Square do it now, yeah. yeah. I'm not saying I want that to happen, but it's happening, so we have to deal with that change. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of coffee experiences, like what's, is there a coffee experience that you've had just as a consumer that sticks out in your mind? Or like what, what are those moments or what are the best moments you've had as a coffee consumer? Uh, you better say 3FE. Or I, like, well, like I worked at 3FE once. The best, the best coffee experience I had up uh, on pay bar. It. You didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I volunteered. I was an intern at 3FE for the day, and when I was there, uh, they used to have a, a, a tasting, tasting thing on bar, and like the shop was really quiet then. This can't happen now, but if you ordered the stuff and you paid the 15 euro the barista would come over with a thing of coffees. And I did that. I went over with my little tray of, oh, here's the filter coffee and it comes from here and here's the espresso. We still do that. Yeah, it was good fun. They, they said, so are you Colin Harmon? I said, yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah. Ignore the accent. Um, best experience I ever had as a consumer was going to a, uh, a tasting evening at a roastery. And I was like, I'm, I'm not sure where the, where the, where the where, the, where, where you stop being a consumer and you start being a barista or a, a roaster or whatever it is you do in the coffee industry, actually you're still a consumer and you still get to have those amazing experiences. Actually, my, my biggest problem is I get really in-depth experiences when I go into cafes that I supply that are nothing to do with what I would experience if I was a normal human being. So I'll go in and they pour shots away instead of giving them to me and it's like, no, that one would have been fine. I wanted coffee. Like, Give it to me. I'm thirsty. Um, uh, I, I can also say that like, my, my quality level has changed. So I remember having an amazing experience in a Starbucks. I remember having really, really good filter coffee. And you can probably still get really good filter coffee in some Starbucks, maybe it's not my preference. But I remember being blown away by things that taste amazing. My, like my most amazing coffee experience was I got off the, I was doing an event in London. It was like the first time I was paid to do something in coffee rather than like literally just making drinks, I was doing an event. Uh, I got off the tube, uh, I was an hour early and I fell into Borough Market and I literally like walked up to the display that Monmouth had of like 12 different beans. And uh, the girl there spoke to me about, oh yeah, this tastes of this thing. And it did, actually the way they brew it, it really tasted of that thing, it was pretty intense. Uh, it was amazing, I could touch coffee and I could very clearly see different things and yeah, it was a good experience. Anyone have any questions for Dale out there? No? Oh. Cool. I was Please. right. Show your audience there. <laughs> so then, uh, just briefly, we've got to kick on because we're running out of time here. But briefly, we, um, 
You spoke about uh, the work as like seeing barista elevating as a profession, and then you obviously do lots of work with the Barista Guild of Europe. Uh, do you think an accreditation is an important part of that? Do you want to get to the stage where you have to be accredited to be called a barista? Whereas, like, oh, okay. If you, if you want to be called a sommelier, for instance, you need to be. Accredited. I I like I like the idea of having a credible mark that you're trained and you know something. I see the value in it for employers. Uh, I dislike certificates and I love education. Uh, I, number one, I think that often when you buy education, uh, people who design education things are very aware that people want to buy the certificate at the end. So they design stuff that is way too achievable, that is way too simplistic, and often lies. Like you can, you can get a day's training to be a barista and you will come out of the thing with all the answers going, I got the thing, now I can do the thing. And actually then you, then you work in the bar for two hours and you realize that none of that stuff works and all the things that you were told about, oh yeah, if you do this, like a 14 gram dose in 25 seconds, it'll be great. It tastes horrible. It doesn't work. And then you have to Google it and find out why. And all you find out is that everybody is confused. I would like to see, I would like to see education that is much more in depth and much more available in every facet. And that includes how to brew and recipes and stuff like that. Uh, I would like tests that are really hard to pass. Like I, I want every, I, I think if a test is credible, uh, you have to maybe take it five times and like a failure rate of, 20, of 80% is fine as long as it's cheap enough to retest. As long as there's enough opportunity for you to pass it if that's what you want and, and go for it. Um, I'd be really comfortable with a, with a year's course in understanding coffee that people failed because then it would have value, and, va and value is more important. I'd also like people to spend, like, uh, to do masters in coffee, to do, like, to spend three years doing your undergraduate, and then you do a, a year doing the next bit, and a year doing the next bit. Like, to be really, really good, it takes that long. Like, I've, like, how much better are you at coffee now than you were five years ago? Infinitely. Yeah, like, like and, and, and you're pretty shit now. Like, in five years' time, you will be mind-blowing. I actually think I'm worse than <laughs> Yeah. Um, at least my understanding is better, maybe not the application. Yeah. But, um, that's very good. Ladies and gentlemen, Dale Hurst.